0: Happy Hour at the Columns Hotel in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm your host, Mindy Hawes, and I have a co-host today, Chris Kehoe.
1: Hi, how you doing?
0: That's Chris. We have two guests today. Our show will be centered largely around Thanksgiving and food and eating. Not that it takes a special holiday for us to focus on these topics in New Orleans. Our guests are Jill Benson from Kitchen and Culture. Hi, everyone. And Gerald Duhon from Second Harvest Food Bank.
2: Hey there. Howdy. Thank you all
0: so much for being with us today. So, Jill, tell us about Kitchen & Culture. I understand it's a website and...
3: Well, at this time, my partner Susan Ford and I are... We're in the process of building Kitchen & Culture. We launched the company almost two years ago. We're a media consultancy firm, and the object of Kitchen & Culture is to reveal Louisiana's culinary heritage... In a very intelligent and informed way. We're starting with Louisiana. We would like to ultimately spread to other communities that have a definable culinary culture. But we're starting with Louisiana because I'm from here and that's what we both know. I'm the former editor of Louisiana Cooking Magazine and Susan's the former publisher and I've written several books on Louisiana as a travel destination and as a, a culinary interest and Um, Also, when you're starting up a new business, well, you can only pretty much travel in your own backyard because you don't have any money, so it's convenient that it's interesting to us. So we just launched an e-newsletter to about 10,000 subscribers last week, and we're ultimately working towards having a print product and launching a companion product on the iPad.
0: And when you say in an intelligent and informed way, is that as opposed to ways that you see Louisiana food represented nationally and beyond?
3: Not so much Louisiana food. Louisiana food is, is rarely bastardized. I, that, that's always treated in an intelligent way, but our culture is oftentimes misrepresented.
1: It's like really, dumbed down. It's so, dumbed down yeah. a whole
3: lot, and that's, that's offensive to so many people. Um, you know, I mean, not everyone here is a candidate for Mensa. I'm sure not, but... <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, okay. Well, oh, I'm good. More Chris, than a candidate, Chris, here, rub my hands <laughs> so some of your genius can wear off on me. Um, but I, th- I think everyone knows what what it is that I'm saying. Mm. With, with we're, we're often represented as dumb on the national stage, mm-hmm. and our culture is represented as dumbed down. And. And would would you think that a lot of societies would
0: find their cultures to be dumbed down in in popular culture? I would. I mean, Mm. I would think that that, the
2: ones that are hard to explain, right? Ah. Yeah.
1: I was just thinking from a media standpoint, does the number of your subscribers to the newsletter help you in getting the print magazine started?
3: Well, Susan, the, my my business partner, she started an e-newsletter for Louisiana Cooking Magazine, and it was branded with her name. So it's really, mm-hmm. it's her product. And as we finalize, as we continue finalizing our monetary arrangements with investors, which will get us to the point where we can launch a print product, mm-hmm. we wanted to get something back out there. Susan was very, very popular with those who subscribed to her newsletter. Yeah. She had... Um, subscriber base of 18,000 per week with an open rate of 8,000 which is huge. Mm -hmm. It was to the point where people were stopping her in the airport. It was kind of funny. Mm -hmm. And then with readers I had a tremendous rapport with readers as well Mm -hmm. and we wanted to maintain that and really start to expose them to what it is that we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. It's it's going to be very different than the publication that we've come from. Um, It will be, what we want to do is recipe centric but Mm -hmm. we want to imprint give people an opportunity to recreate those elements of Louisiana culture that we're going to reveal to them through this publication through recipes we want to give them an opportunity to recreate that for themselves in their communities and we'll launch it nationwide
1: mm-hmm. speaking of recipes what about some louisiana thanksgiving dishes that people might want to try
3: the one that I'm well, I'm not so famous for it. My father was famous for it. Um, he had a cult following for his his oyster dressing. And as he he grew older and his health was failing, people would still clamor for the oyster dressing.
4: Mm-hmm. But
3: he didn't believe in using a food processor. Oh, really? So he would chop all the ingredients by hand. <laughs> and as his health began to fail, he pushed me into service to do this, and it was horrible. I mean, he was really he was he was really uh he was a stickler for
2: perfection <laughs> but what would you use Thanks, a food processor with on? Jill, oh huh?
3: no you couldn't do that
2: no 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 definitely was, not
3: oh no no you couldn't use a food processor you had to stand there with a chef's knife and chop and chop and chop and he would cook this stuff for 30 people
2: well i understand when i when i started to learn to cook my grandmother only made me make two promises one chop all your vegetables by hand and two clean up after yourself mm-hmm. do the dishes as you go and do you yeah oh yeah i mean i I, I, I cheat a little bit When I When I use my garlic I, I got a very small One of those mini food processors mm-hmm. I'll, I'll chop the garlic with that But it, it comes out of the head I mean it's fresh But uh, never buy anything pre-chopped And chopping the oysters Is not that bad
3: That's not so bad No But I cheat now So what do you do? I have a good food processor. Shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do <laughs> my that. Shouldn't do that. Oh, <laughs> my wow. husband took pity on me, and for my fortieth birthday, he bought me a good food processor. But we're talking. I mean, the, the food processors that my father first used, you know, with the the things that came out in the nineteen seventies, and they really did liquefy everything. Mm-hmm. But the good ones, Cuisinarts and KitchenAids, they don't do that anymore. I mean, I don't. Know. I'm not buying.
2: Guess we
0: won't be getting them
3: as a sponsor.
4: <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm sure it's good though.
3: Well. Anyway, if you go to louisiana.kitchenandculture.com, I did write a blog about my father's oyster dressing, and many people have written to me about this thing, and the recipe's attached to that. And it's it's not too tough, especially if you don't chop all the ingredients by yeah. hand. <laughs> <laughs> Again, um, Gerald, where are you? Well, Jill, where are you from? New Orleans. You are
0: from New Orleans. Yes. And Gerald, where are you from? I've
2: never lived anywhere else. Um, oh, I can understand. Except that. for the um, 25 days after Katrina, I lived in Lafayette, okay. but otherwise have have only lived here.
0: So, uh, what's your uh, Thanksgiving dish that you're most looking forward to making and most looking forward to indulging?
2: Well, Thanksgiving is 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 an odd holiday for me, and the fact that I, I love to cook, and that's only something that I've really done. Um, post-Katrina when I was living in Lafayette and and started to learn from my grandmother and got the basics. And then a tradition that I've had um, that I've shared with my wife and and our family is we have these huge saints deals. So it's generally a a 12 course Mm -hmm. or 13 course meal and we'll have anywhere from 20 to 40 people over and we'll have all that out every week. So Thanksgiving becomes somewhat anticlimactic. But then um, on top of that, Last year was the only time I ever cooked for Thanksgiving because the saints were actually playing on Thanksgiving Day. And uh, we go to my wife's sister's house, who um, does not like to cook, and we go to my uncle's house, who likes to cook, um, but, you know, he tries really hard. And so Thanksgiving ends up being a lot like Mardi Gras Day for me. Um, One of the days you really want to eat great food, but unfortunately I don't have a lot of access to great food on the day itself so um so i'll traditionally have a wonderful breakfast mm-hmm. that morning um you know i i love boudin i'm a big boudin guy so when i travel through acadiana i'm, I'm always sampling and buying and and i may brown off some links thanksgiving morning and that'll that'll that and a thing of red bull will tide me over for the day
0: i think of what
2: red bull Red Bull? Yeah, along <laughs> with my
0: boudin. Red um, Bull in and boudin. <laughs> yeah.
2: oh, <it's, laughs> in there. It's, let me tell you, that's my fantasy meal right there.
0: Wow. <laughs> um, I, think, I think you need to take a second to explain boudin for listeners who may not know about yeah.
4: boudin.
2: So I'm, I'm certainly not a boudin expert, but uh, I've never made it. But, um, Jill, have you ever made boudin? Have you ever actually made No, food I've it? never made boudin. Okay. <laughs> yeah, food <laughs> processed boudin. That's right. So it's a, um, it, it's a Cajun sausage that is basically um, a rice and pork based sausage. Um, It is not industrialized or in any way, um, uh, it's all very unique. You you can travel from one town to another, it's only, the good stuff is really only concentrated around Lafayette. I I still believe that once you cross the Atchafalaya Basin there's no more good boudin between there and here, in New Orleans, being here. Um, You can't get good boudin in New Orleans, I believe. and so it's it's just this real spicy, personal sausage that's put into a casing, and um, it, it's cooked when you get it, but then many people heat it. You, you can either steam it or microwave it, or in my case, I like to put it in the oven and make the skin crispy, and I can eat the skin.
1: Why can't you get it uh, anywhere
2: else? You know, that's a, great, that's a great question, and I think that uh, Donald Link has tried to address that, you know, that he wanted to open up a, a meat shop much like, what he remembers from his childhood, because when you go through Acadiana, mm-hmm. as you may know, up and down I ten or I forty nine, it's it's amazing the 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 complexity of what's out there, and, and and the fresh sausages that are you know that have honey in it and have um, um, pineapple in it or cherry in it or whatever it may be, and then there's wow. all this wonderful boudin, some of it which is smoked, and then seafood boudin, but for whatever reason it hasn't caught on here, and and he he has opened up a Donald has opened up a meat shop here. I've had the boudin, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it's not like what you can get. You know, I, I, I think it's really hard for, just my opinion, but I think it's really hard for a classically trained guy yeah. or girl to cook in a down home, what I term as comfort food. Yeah. You know, you, you always, it, it's, you just don't want to do meatloaf. You want to do it with a tarragon reduction sauce mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And that's, that's not how meatloaf was meant to be eaten. So I, I think that becomes difficult for a, a guy so talented to just do a regular link of boudin. Jill, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I, I find I can't get good boudin here in New Orleans. It's okay. If I'm in a pinch, I'll eat it. But I'm going to take what I can buy in Acadiana, vacuum pack it, and freeze it every time. You get well, to
3: Acadiana. Louisiana, uh, New Orleans cuisine is based on I mean, it's based on Creole heritage, which is city food. And based on seasoning, much more than Cajun cuisine, which is based on spices and smoking. So, what, our food culture in New Orleans is based more on seafood than on smoked meat.
2: And butter. I think that's a great example. The well, Creoles of, would yeah. use, you know, and like my Cajun grandmother, she cream. would never use, never think to use butter. It would be a waste to make a roux with butter. But here in the city, it was fat. plentiful, Right.
3: So I mean I think that's the only reason why we don't have good boudin in New Orleans. It's it's just we have other things, mm-hmm. and they do it. I mean that's their specialty in a So am- why mess with it? But it's, it's been amazing there. to me
2: that in a wonderful food city like we have, it's not something you can get. You know that you've got to drive two hours, in my opinion, to to get to. Speaking I mean there, there there are actually things out there now where where people call them. Bootan runs or their mm-hmm. bootan tours. You can sign up for a bootan tour, and you get on a bus, and 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 they'll take you to, you know, like like the other day I was driving back from Appaloosa, so I stopped in Church Point and and um, Kankton and. You know, a couple of towns on it because I've got a list of places that I want to hit. And I, I think we need go, to go
3: traveling around the state together. I do this too.
2: Come on, let's go. <laughs> need you know a helicopter. I keep have an ice port- chest in the back of my car I right I now. Keep this, just in case.
3: This thing we call the portable refrigerator in the back of my car. It's this giant You're than insulated. Me it's better right. It's just a giant insulated bag, but it'll keep ice frozen for two days. That's right. it's called, it's bag, two days. It's all you need. Boudin reconnaissance. <laughs> it yeah. is. It's boudin reconnaissance. <laughs> Nothing it really like is. That. And Andui recon too. For that, you don't have to go far. You just go to Laplace.
2: Bingo. Bailey's or Jacobs.
3: Go to Jacobs.
2: Nah, I go to Bailey's. All right, go to Bailey's. Uh, uh, but if you go, go to, if you go to if you go to Wayne
3: Jacobs, if you go to Wayne Jacobs Smokehouse, not to be confused with Jacobs, so not
2: the one on Airline,
3: not the one on Airline. Wayne Jacobs back is on back River on Road. Fifth Street off of River Road. Someone else told me this, so I should yeah. try it. You could. Do you have a dog.
2: I, I have two.
3: I have five. <laughs> I wow, have five okay. dogs, and they have smokehouse dog treats there for a really? buck fifty a wait, pack. Wait, wait, where is this? It's Wayne Jacobs Smokehouse I love my dogs. in Laplace. Um, it's on Fifth Street, just off of um, River Road, and a buck fifty. And he repurposes the Andouille ends into Perfect. smokehouse dog treats. Nice. Dingo's wagging his tail, back much home, right start, start a riot! I have a dog. I wrote a blog about I'm that too last treats. week. <laughs> Fantastic.
2: So this um, is probably not at all what you had planned on talking there's about. No but, uh, <laughs> there's, there's no plan.
0: There's no plan. All it's over the place. Ride. We're just. It's Buddha and reconnaissance. Um, Gerald, you I want to go back to you starting to cook after Katrina and after uh, relocating to Lafayette for five weeks, you said? Is, yeah, is it, was, there, it was
2: 25 days.
0: Is there more to it than that as far as the cooking? I mean, was it simply the removal from your day routine, daily routine in proximity to your grandmother and her cooking? Or was there more to it than that that, that, that has made you cook since then? I, I,
2: I don't know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 45. If I had done it when I was 20, I would probably have gone to culinary school and, and ah, trained and, and, and done that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm crazy enough to think that I'd love to cook professionally, but I don't know that I want to do that and subject myself to that. But, um, you know, it was. I, I think it was the, the element of time after, after the storm. Um, I would pick my son up um, from the school that he landed in for nine weeks and would go to my grandmother's house. And and it's wonderful. I mean, she's since deceased, uh, but it was a wonderful time. Um, And she even gave me some of her cast iron pots. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. just, in in, in that respect, I mean, you hear people talk about the storm as as being a blessing. And for me, in that particular situation, it was. Um, But she kind of got me started and gave me the confidence. But, you know, now I I enjoy cooking things that my grandmother would have never dreamed of cooking or, or have done. So, um, you know, it's gotten to a point now where it's more of a, a grand experiment or, or, or just um, forcing around a little bit. Do you, you think
3: you started because you had the time to do it while you were evacuated during Katrina? Or were you was there a, a longing to recreate something comforting?
2: Yes, um, I think both, Jill. I mean, for starters, I love to eat. Just absolutely love it. Uh, if you told me that I couldn't have another glass of draft beer or, or alcohol, I could I could manage. I'd be OK. But if you told me I, I couldn't eat high fat content food, I, I'd I'd be in trouble. Um, and, and so as um, I think to be a good cook, and I consider myself a cook and not a chef at all because I have no training. To um, be a good cook, you have to um, really love to eat, I believe. Mm-hmm. And and, and and so being an eater and kinda, to share. Yes, well, and that's the other thing is that is that you know I like to I like to host and be hospitable and. I like to see people happy. And so I think the seeds were always there. It was always something I said in the back of my mind. Oh, I'd like to know how to do that. And I cooked a brown jambalaya, and that was it. That was my repertoire. Mm -hmm. And I used to always enjoy cooking it. And then, lo and behold, the time presents itself. And it was more of confidence than anything, of just, hey, get in there and do it and put it in there. You're not going to kill anybody, Mm You know, as long as we avoid salmonella. uh, We're okay. (laughs) Which I'm a freak about. I'm a freak about salmonella. So anyway, um, yeah, and I think it got me going. And then, and then, you know, the people around me encouraged me. And then, um, you know, my grandmother on the other side, who had almost passed away within months, of my other grandmother, we used to all go to her house on Sundays and, and she'd cook a big meal. And so, you know, th- there was kind of that hole on, on my maternal side of the family. And, um, you know, these, cooking these big meals on Sunday now takes that place because, you know, neighbors and friends and family are all there on sunday and um and it's and it's great and and i tell them all the time i love to cook and so for me it does me no good if i cook this pie and no one's here to eat it mm-hmm. you know so you're doing me a favor by coming over and taking a piece and saying okay i think the crust is this or that or because mm-hmm. i tried a different crust recipe which i'm i'd be still, glad the crust is still done <laughs> no, I'm <just laughs> thinking
4: why didn't did i go what to what a song so we can
3: get
0: the address this guy sooner
1: All right, uh, on that note, I actually want to talk about, when we come back, about Turducken. But first, here's a song, uh, Here Comes the Challenger by Empress Hotel.
0: new orleans band empress hotel with here comes the new challenger empress hotel is a pop ensemble based here whose sound is inspired by both one hit wonders of the 70s and legends such as prince sparks and roxy music brothers ryan and eric rogers are backed by patrick hodgkins on bass leo de jesus on keys and percussion and the lovely julie williams on keys with micah mckee on lead vocals and guitar
1: Okay, uh, I wanted to talk about turducken, which I've never had, and I've never really heard of until I moved here. Uh, And it just seems, I don't want to say it seems bad, because I love turkey, I love chicken, and I like duck. But it just kind of seems like... (laughs) Unnatural. A Frankenstein creation, (laughs) like an almost an abomination to God. Joe, we need the Mensa interpretation of Tadukan. I'm, I'm
3: going to kick this one.
2: Well, you know I'd, the fact that they uh, I have they, no
3: words for Tadukan. <laughs> well, you know the fact that
2: you have to lace it and stitch it up and everything makes it look like it's funny. You said Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. That's, almost what it's like when uh, you uh, is you, uh, it
1: good? Have you guys ever had it? Absolutely, it it's, is. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. great.
4: Oh, really?
2: Uh, and I mean, you can do it yourself, but it's but nothing is
3: really discernible in there. It is a giant mishmash of something. It's it's good.
2: But it would be really it's, it, 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 it's, it's really hard to do It's really hard to do yourself I mean Just, just this past week um, I did a uh, A boneless turkey breast that I, that I stuffed with boudin And rolled And then Was twine. that Donald Link's boudin? recipe Yes it was That's exactly right I knew right. it I was about to That's tell exactly you He right. had one and, um, and, and And that was challenging Keeping everything together You know Once you and, and I didn't even butcher the breast I mean it was done for me deboning the breast um, But you know If you really do the turducken you know, they're are how to things how to you know go through and, and debone the the chicken, the duck, the mm-hmm. the turkey, and then put them all together. But it's delicious. But I mean, there's a, a lot of great people that do it in town. You just order when's,
0: it. When's the last time
3: you had it?
2: Um, we had I've had one in the last couple of years.
3: Jill, I think I've only had it once or twice. I mean, we're not purists by any means, but <laughs> we tend to on Thanksgiving Day. Um, years ago we decided the easy thing to do is to shove my husband and his friends out into the backyard with a rig to fry turkeys it gets them uh. out. it just gets them out of the kitchen So today. what you're
2: frying a turducken? No,
3: we just do the plain old fried turkey. Yeah, sure. And typically we'll do two fried turkeys and then we'll we'll inject and fry a chicken or two just for those who would prefer and then there's usually maybe a grilled turkey breast and then the next day we roast off all the bones and do this mammoth pot of day after Thanksgiving, turkey and andouille gumbo, but the the, the turducken, I would never do it myself just to sit there and debone all of that. I guess I'm going to be honest. It would just kind of gross me out (laughs) sitting there pulling out all those bones and stuffing all those things and stuffing one thing into another. And, By the time it was finished, I think I'd just be so sick of the thing that I wouldn't enjoy it. And then it seems, what's the point if you're going to go out and buy it and it's somebody else's work and you didn't do it and it's Thanksgiving and it's just not working for me.
1: So you just talk about frying turkey. Did you, have you ever had an explosion in your backyard? From <laughs> no,
3: we shoved them far enough out into the yard so we, we wouldn't really know. It's, uh, no, they have to go outside. <laughs> and my husband has assembled this, it's it's really, an it's an impressive rig and it's done with a large ladder and the, the turkey is suspended from a cable and it, it, you know, gets slowly immersed into this pot of boiling oil, really a cauldron of boiling oil. <laughs> and, but it's amazing, you can fry a, 12 pound turkey in something like 22 minutes instead of keeping it in the oven for what 15 hours or something however long it is that it takes right, Jill I see
0: you have a a bent for expediency but my my question for you is that you said shove twice so what does (laughs) shoving the guys out in the backyard do for you on Thanksgiving day
3: we don't have a large home we tend to entertain large groups of people (laughs) in a small home um, we're not doing it this year Which is really, we're doing We, we just have some things going on at home this year Renovation and, and whatnot So we're not entertaining this year for Thanksgiving But usually we'll have 35 or 40 people over And our house lends itself well to entertaining Because the back of the house opens up into the yard Decks and yard and all of that But it's, if everyone jams up in the kitchen It's, it's a sad and sorry mess It is. We're just stripping over one another. More Thanksgiving. It's awful. So it's more to move out into the yard. That's better. (laughs) That's good.
0: I want to ask Gerald about the uh, Second Harvest Food Bank that is your your profession is with Second Harvest Food Bank. We're talking it is. about a lot of um, it is. indulgence and delight and and possibly even excess with food and yet your work is based in quite the opposite. So I'd like do you to talk t- to us about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, and that seemed like a natural uh, fit for me, you know, and um, you know when I when I took the job, I was not looking for that particular job, and so I, in many ways I consider it a providence that I, that I ended up there and um, you know it, it was a certain process for me to come to terms with to be, you know, as as um, I don't like the term foodie. I don't consider myself a foodie, but I, but I, I like to eat. I, I, I like excess, and um, you know that, that was a difficult thing for me to come to terms with at first. Um, as I work through, but but knowing that I'm spending my time um, trying to help others um, certainly helps me through that. So um, to me, it seemed like a natural link. I, I love I love food. I love cooking. I love feeding people. And this is just a way that I help a a larger team, certainly I don't do any of this on my own, but work on a larger team to to help people that are hungry in our community. And so I've worked with Second Harvest Food Bank for, um, I'm in my fourth year now, and and really love my job, and and love the folks I work with, and really love the mission, uh, because it is such a basic need, and and we all define ourselves so much by food, and and what we do. and and I think in our culture more than others here in New Orleans it's 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 critical. It's such a such an important part. It becomes really an identity piece and not just a sustenance piece. It's you know, where do you get your Italian sausage? You can have a ten minute conversation just about that, right? <laughs> How far so, do you drive you know, for boudin? There you go, right. Or where's where's your boudin come from? So uh, so yeah, so it's a great job for me. I'm I'm feel I'm lucky.
1: What are some of the things they're doing around Thanksgiving to help the less fortunate?
2: So uh, just today, um, today being about a week before Thanksgiving, we packed uh, 2,000 boxes, getting ready to go out. We had some wonderful volunteers um, at our site out in Elmwood, at our warehouse out in Elmwood, packing packing 2,000 boxes uh, that will have turkeys in them as well that will go out. Um, You know, we're there 365, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all year long. Certainly this is our busy time of the year. Um, Part of the reason I'm talking to you right now is simply because it's the holiday time and, and there's an interest in what we do. I think people are a little more attuned. And and I always like to say that um, we have one of the one of the, the, the missions and one of the causes that everyone can identify with. Because if if, if we're trying to you know, if, if we're running a, a um, an addiction center, um, you may not know what that's like if, if you've never tried to kick a drug. Or if we're running an adult literacy program, you may not know what that's like if you've ever struggled to read. You can empathize with it, but you may not know. Um, But we've all known what it's like to be hungry. Either we've missed a meal because we're busy or because we're dieting or we've got a medical procedure, it's a religious purpose, whatever it may be. We know what that physical sensation feels like. And um, the difference with the people we serve is that they can't solve that. So we can solve it by going through a drive through open up our refrigerator, et cetera, et cetera, uh, or as my son does, picking up the phone and calling Domino's. Um, you know, they can, you can figure that out. But, you know, the folks that we, um, that we work with are truly food insecure, which is kind of a PC term, but it's different from being hungry because the people we help are not just being hungry. And then the whole other piece Is all about nutrition, you know. um, You know that a lot of times it it, it more becomes access to nutritional Mm -hmm. food because you know a lot of times if you're food insecure, you'll fill yourself up with things that are nutritionally inappropriate. You know whether it's yes, cheap and easy, and it can also be access. You know, Um, here's what the corner store has, um, and I use store the terminology loosely. Um, It's probably a place that I should get my Red Bull, but you should not get your dinner in the form of ramen noodles or you know chef boy rd ravioli or whatever it may be
1: on that note let's go to uh, our next song andrew uh, duhan is he a relation of yours
2: no relation andrew's actually from lake charles oh. uh, I mean, if it's andrew and the and the hackberry ramblers and and that family they're from lake charles previous guest it too. is there you go
1: and the song is coming down over here <laughs>
4: And I just turned into morning But I've been morning all night Lord and it just keeps storming And my power's gone So I'll write by candlelight Yeah, I'm writing a letter Don't know if I'll ever send Ain't nothing you haven't heard Just in different words But I'll tell you again. It says, babe, it's been storming. At least it has so far. I guess I saw the clouds forming. But I didn't think it would be this hard. Maybe Maybe tomorrow, Lord, I'll see it all so clear it raining where you are cause it's coming down over here I took a moment to sleep babe Sometimes these days I forget. It's when it was you and me, babe. Felt like the sun never set. But I went and blew out my candle with just one gentle breath. But reigniting the flame, it don't work the same unless you got one good match left. Baby, it's been storming, at least it has so far. I guess I saw the clouds forming, but I didn't think it would be this hard. Maybe tomorrow, Lord, I'll see it all so clear. Is it raining where you are? It's coming down over here. And if I should ever see you out there on the street, you try to talk about the weather or whatever keeps your mind from me. I'd say, Babe, it's been storming least it has so far I guess I saw the clouds forming but I didn't think it would be this hard maybe tomorrow Lord I'll see it all so clear is it raining where you are cuz it's coming down over here Lord, is it raining where you are, Because it's coming down over here.
0: It's New Orleans, Diggs, Andrew Duhon. Thank All right, you. Gerald Duhon, I have a question for you. The last couple years that I have talked to friends slash inquired about volunteering on Thanksgiving Day, every place that people I know have called has been booked, completely booked. So do you all have a plan or a mechanism in place to divert those volunteers to more year round usefulness?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, Uh, you know, because those volunteers are needed all year long, not just on Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day um you know we actually um don't feed anyone that's hungry directly and that sounds like it's counterintuitive we work through agencies so places that you're talking about an osman or a bridge house or places that do actually serve the food they get their food from us and so there's not much to do at our place on thanksgiving day or christmas day because the food's already out and distributed to these nonprofits um you know but you know i can tell you from the nonprofit sector You can only accommodate so many requests and so many volunteers, and then you know my my suggestion would be call back on a random day in March, you know, um, you know, or during the summer, which is a real slow time. um, That can really help, and and you know we like to say that you know hunger is an everyday disaster, and that's every day 365 days a year. So it's not just during the holidays. I think when we're more attuned to it, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it doesn't sound counterintuitive. Actually, it sounds because I, I know I have experience in the nonprofit realm as well. And it seems like there's a lot of good hearts out there doing a lot of good work in silos. And if you're sort of the middleman or the pyramid, that's satellite that's reaching on a more efficient level, upping the mm-hmm. viability of these non individual nonprofits,
1: then that's amazing.
2: Yeah. We're kind of the distribution network.
1: Okay. The supplier. Uh, Jill. Jill. You were a chef before you No. Started? Oh no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm
3: just a home cook. That's mm-hmm. it. I grew up in New Orleans and started cooking when I was nine. Um, food processor. There was no, damn it, let the <laughs> food processor go. I just <laughs> took it up when I was 40 and it we're was not a necessity. Give it away. If you, sta- if you had to stand That's there horrible. and whack your way through 35 cups of seasoning with some no mean judgment. old man looking over you, you'd turn to a food processor,
1: no, too, Sister. It's, it's not
3: said with judgment, it's said with admiration. I know. <laughs> so you were a writer
1: first? Is, uh, is that- I
3: started off when I was still in school. I was at UNO and I started off, the Times Picayune hired me as a grunt. To write obits and to answer the phone at night When every crazy person in town would call And express their editorial opinion So I scratched and clawed my way up And they let me start writing a few feature stories Because they felt sorry for me And Mm -hmm. discovered I had a little knack for that And then after I graduated from school I became an assistant editor at the Picayune And then, you know, I was 25 years old And I just decided that I was tired of having a regular paycheck And decent benefits And I was young (laughs) and stupid, so decided I was going to go freelance So I could just cruise all over the place And not get paid on a regular basis I started working for Time in the New York Times And mm-hmm. that's when I started really getting out Into the southeast area That was my region mm-hmm. And seeing what was going on In Louisiana just Culture beyond New Orleans And food culture specifically And I've always been an impassioned cook mm-hmm. And that really spoke to me But no, I'm no South Well, <laughs> <laughs> I
1: have is a little common sense um, I don't know. Do uh,
0: I think you have common sense? But as I said to you during the break, I think you speak very frankly, which I think bodes well for your your intellectual and informed. I mean, it's honest. It's well, it's, you know, why well,
3: screw around? <laughs> it's,
0: um, no,
3: I mean, the just to counter the
0: lore and sort of the dumbing down and the over cartoonization of Louisiana culture and cuisine. Well, we don't have to. I mean, we don't.
3: have exactly. to, We don't have to make it up. What we have here in Louisiana, and this is why we are such a magnet for cultural tourism. We don't have to make it up. What we have here is real. And as and our world becomes increasingly homogenized, and everything starts to look the same, everything's everyone's looking for something real that will make them feel different than their own environment does. And you can come to Louisiana and find that, and you, you can, can f- come and not find it. You, well, exactly, and but I mean, seven. At one time, there were seven nations that had come together to create the culture that we experience as Louisiana, and you can still see, as you travel throughout our state, you can still see the evidence of those seven nations and the marks that they made. And we have, with it, with the Hispanic community moving in, they're making a mark too. People can and. and we as a people in louisiana just tend to absorb and assimilate other people's cultures into what we do hence you know the italian people came in but roux became part of their red gravy Mm
1: -hmm.
3: and that it and it it came together and it's it's amalgamated into what we eat at moscow's so red
0: gravy when you look at it looks like Marinara sauce or tomato sauce, and is eaten on a lot of macaroni and cheese. Can you talk about
3: that a little bit? Because I think that's unique. I can't talk about that too much. That's just something that they do over at Rocky and Carlos. (laughs) Oh my god You call
2: it red gravy, right? (laughs) That's a New Orleans deal.
3: That's a New Orleans deal for sure. And not everyone, you know, not all, you know, actually, now that I think about it, Mosca's doesn't use a roux in their red gravy, but I'm pretty sure that Sal and Judy's does. Okay, forgive me if I'm wrong here. Um, but it is common that many New Orleans Italian cooks or, you know, some of our restaurants use a roux to build their red gravy, which you think of, it looks like marinara sauce, but it's thicker. Um, the seasoning's probably a little bit heavier. Do we need to go rudimentary and, and explain what roux is? Instead? I do not know what you guys are <laughs> talking about. Roo, yes. uh, you don't know what roux is. Where no. did you come from, Chris? <laughs> I'm from Maryland. Ooh. Okay, roux, it's, it's essentially fried flour. And depending on what you're cooking, it is equal parts hot fat. It could be bacon grease. It could be oil. It could be peanut oil, um, olive oil, imparts parts its own flavor. So it's not good to go there. But something neutral, vegetable oil. The butter mm-hmm. in the city. Um, Butter has butter, you know, butter fat, it has solids in it, so they're going to burn at some point. So better not to do it with butter, butter, unless you're making a blonde roux, in which case you're only frying the flour and the butter for just a couple, just a few minutes. Mm -hmm. It's a blonde roux, and it's okay to go with butter. But if you're doing, if you're trying to make a really, really deep, dark Cajun roux, then you're going to have to stand there and stir that for 20 to 25 minutes until it turns to a dark dark brown almost black but if you see flex in it that Mm -hmm. means you've burned the roux and you have to pitch it and start Start it over Uh. otherwise you but you can get to a black roux without burning it but once you see flex it is history
0: what's the what's the alternative to flex so how do you get from blonde to black without flex
3: if you're if if you're inexperienced at making roux then you do it over a medium low heat and you stir and stir and stir until you just you you really feel like your arm's just going to fall off it takes (laughs) forever You'd need maybe a glass of whiskey within arm's reach and maybe some good music on, someone to talk to or someone to trade off with because it's just, once you let it go, it'll get away from you quickly. Um, I tend to just crank up the heat and -hmm. just go with it and just fry it off really fast and stir furiously and just get it done. I'm very impatient by nature, and um, it just drives me crazy, the thought of standing there. But... um, that it's it's but it's baseline to what we do here in Louisiana to how yeah. we cook. I mean roux where, rue's it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what can't be done without it
3: properly? Um what can't be done without it? Um Oh, Lord. Gerald, let's talk. Come on, you've been visiting this book.
2: <laughs> Lots of things you can do without it, but anything that has a, a sauce base to it, okay. it, mm. it, it, it's a great thickener, and it has this particular taste to it that it that gives really, your food flavor. Yes, it's it, based it, it's, on your roux. It's, it's a built it's a built on flavor because really, if you think about it, it's just flour and oil. Yeah, I mean, you you don't even season your flour before you put it in your roux. At least I don't. I haven't heard of anybody doing yeah. that. But um, so it's very it's very bland or very flavorless but yet it builds a, it builds a, a it really acts as two agents one is it gives a very distinct taste and two it thickens whatever it is that you're trying to cook so you use it in a lot of sauce based type of, of, of areas where some people may use cornstarch to thicken you know my grandmother would keep a a, um, a jar of roux that she made not bought in the store because you can buy them by the jar in the store but you know, um, in, in, in the, and if she needs thicken she'd take a tablespoon of the roux and throw it into whatever she was doing to mm-hmm. thicken it up a little bit.
3: There's another thing you can do, and I've never done this, but there's a friend of mine. Actually, you, probably, you should probably have him on your show. He, his name is David Gallant, and he's a food photographer, and he's also a CIA-trained chef, and he, <laughs> he does his roux in the oven. He doesn't use oil, so he will throw his flour in a pan and throw it in the oven and continually... Work on it over a couple of hours and slowly brown it off.
2: And you can actually do the flour in the oven without the oil. I mean, yes. You can make an oilless it's roux. It's an
3: oilless roux, and it's a completely different philosophy. And I've never well, had the balls to try it, but that, that's his you method. And um, I mean, as unhealthy as frying the flour in the oil is, it, it's familiar and safe to me. And, um, and I can watch it develop, and, and I know what's going to happen at the end of the process. Jill, have you
2: ever done it in the microwave? No. Believe it or not, that's what? how my grandmother taught Food me. Food
3: processor, baby, but no microwave. Do it in the microwave. <laughs> it's, uh,
2: it's, it's easy. So you just take, you, you get a big enough measuring cup. Wow, this um, is good news. And, and, and it would need to be like a four-cup measuring cup. So a big, it needs to be glass, no plastic. Um, so a real big measuring cup. You put a, um, you know, a, a cup of oil in there. And you spin it for, you know, a couple, a minute, two minutes just to heat it up. And then you put the um, flour in. And you just, you got to watch it like a hawk, but you put it in there. And every time it starts to bubble up, you go in there and you whisk it down or stir it down. And eventually, you know, you got to work over about a 20-minute period in two or three-minute increments. And when it starts to turn, when it gets that nut color and starts to smell like popcorn, when Mm -hmm. it's starting to turn, you need to probably do it a little more frequently every 45 minutes. But... You'll get a beautiful dark roux like that, and that's generally what I'll take. And um, I actually have roux um, that's over five years old that's still sitting in the back of my the back of my um, cabinet in a in a dry you know in a sealed container in a in a, in a cool dry place. It'll keep forever
0: Oh you, know, so until you Wow, use it. that's sealed for five years. If you unseal it,
2: it smells fine and it's ready to go. And, and
0: once you unseal it, do you have to refrigerate it? Or no, do you just throw it back in the cabinet? No. Have to no I
2: mean, I'm, and, and, you know, my wife is here and she'll tell you. But I'm, but I'm crazy about some of that stuff. I collect, like, I, I have all kind of exotic greases, like I save when I brown sausage or boudin or, or bacon. I mean, I save all that grease stuff. And, and the only grease that I've discovered I really need to refrigerate is, is when I skim chicken fat off the Salmon top up. of my stock.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're right. saving schmaltz, too?
2: What schmaltz? I don't know.
3: What you just described. That's the fat off the... That's chicken fat. Chicken oh, yeah. Fat no, I saved that I,
2: I, in, the, in the refrigerator, and then if I'm doing, like, a chicken gumbo or whatever, that's my roux. I'll put the chicken fat in and then hit that with some flour, and that's... Oh,
3: you are hardcore. I thought I'd been doing this for a long time. This guy just started cooking, and he's blowing me out of the water. It's Feature
2: OCD, OCD.
0: <laughs> Well-channeled, OCD. <laughs> People around Do you, you don't absolutely. Mind?
1: <laughs> Well, you guys have made me a roux believer. <laughs> that's a good radio. That's hard good, hard good radio, hard, hard, hard. That's good radio <laughs> comedy. There you go. Uh let's go to our next song. It's uh Is That You by Hooray for the Riffraff.
4: I saw your ghost at the grocery. I could have sworn that was you. I thought you were standing next to me, but I knew that couldn't be true.
0: That was Hooray for the Riff Raff with Is That You? Hooray for the Riff Raff is an American country folk band from New Orleans. Alinda Lee Seguera is Hooray for the Riff Raff's creative force as she writes and sings all the band's songs. And I love this part. She ran away from her home in the Bronx at 17 and spent time crossing North America hopping freight trains.
2: Sounds like our own Teresa Anderson. Yeah. Except that was Scandinavia, right? Tremendous. I'm
0: jealous. All right, Jill, we talked a little bit about a crazy dessert over the break, and it made me realize that in, I have a tremendous sweet tooth. I could bypass most of the things we've been talking about all day for <laughs> desserts, but it does not seem to be the focus in New Orleans that I find it to be socially in other places and cultures. Do y'all? I mean, I just don't feel like the selections are as plentiful or emphasized in restaurants as they are in other places. I find that to be true.
3: No, no, not like, in restaurants there are those old fallbacks. I mean, traditional Creole line, old line restaurants will have creme caramel and bread pudding. Bananas um, Foster. Some things, some have Bananas Foster, which is actually a more recent creation. They they tend to to fall to the French, um, old line French dishes that are reincarnated. Bread pudding was just something that was cobbled together out of necessity. Spare pieces of bread. We want dessert. You know, mm-hmm. Dump on a pudding and here we go. Um, no problem. A guy named David Goss, G-Goss, G-U-A-S, he wrote a cookbook called Damn Good Sweet. Um, New Orleans, D-I-M um, Good Sweet by David Goss. And he... Grew up in New Orleans, he lives in D.C., he's a pastry chef, and his book is absolutely amazing, and it really, it revealed to me that New Orleans-centric dessert culture that I really hadn't thought about, but we really do have a lot of, not New Orleans, but Louisiana-centric desserts, um, rice pudding... A lot of pecan. Gâteau de syrup, pecan pies, um, of course, bread pudding, pralines, um, apple fritter pies, kala, things like that. It's just that I think that we focus so much more on our savory dishes because they just end up being more exciting. They're more tied Mm. to the culture, whereas our sweet dishes overlap French culture more, and they don't define us as clearly. Does that sound completely ignorant? I hope not. (laughs) <laughs> no, it sounds fine. Anyway, th- so that that would be my take on it, my very uneducated take. And but, David Goss, uh, it, I can't say enough about his book. And I'm not much of a baker, but every year at this time, I pull out his book, and it really becomes something of a bible to me. It's just cool stuff. So check that out. And earlier
0: you said um, that you were hoping to branch out beyond Louisiana. So I'm interested, what is top
3: of mind in terms of
0: cultures that are worthy of your
3: well, pursuit? Ultimately, I mean, my background is entirely with Louisiana. My business partner, she's from the South, and she's also a passionate cook. Um, her, but her business background is West Coast Tech Publishing. And she came here. She wanted to move back to the South after Katrina, so she did and she you know, moved into the magazine that I ended up working for, and she, she quadrupled the, the size and the production of this magazine, and she then brought me on board, and we grew this thing together, and we were, were very excited about Louisiana's food culture, but then food culture in general, and how people respond to that, and there are several food cultures that can be defined in the United States, Tex-Mex would be one, California mm-hmm. Fresh is another, um, the Carolina is low country, there's a food culture in the, you know, upper east coast that involves a lot of chowder and seafood and whatnot, and then there's something kind of definable up in the upper midwest. Mm-hmm. Cheese curds? Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry, I said, I said midwest, I didn't mean to say that, I meant West Coast, Seattle area, Portland Pacific. involving their, you know, seafood and that thing grossly called gooey duck that's supposed to be so wonderful. That's all a part of their food culture. So to start with Louisiana and to to then branch out into other places that have a discernible food culture and then other countries even. I mean Italy certainly has a discernible food culture, but to talk to people and to reveal their stories and their passions for how they feel about their resident, quote-unquote, or their local food culture.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cheese curds, flippant comment, was actually perfect because that is, again, that's the dumbing down of that. That's
3: all I know about. <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about that Midwestern food culture either. I mean, what, they eat Philly cheese sandwiches and they eat cheese curds. What else do You're they You're not eat? missing much. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, okay. we'll find out when you all
1: explore it. Uh, 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 Gerald, what is – we talked about how hard it was to uh, – volunteer so, during, around the holidays. So, but what a, what is something someone can do if they tomorrow if they wanted to help out the less fortunate right now?
2: So there's uh, you know a couple of things they can do. So certainly you can go to our website, which is no-hunger.org. We'll put that on the site. Yep. And uh, you can also call us at 504-734-1322. And the main help that we need comes in three forms. One is donations of food of which we uh, love shelf-stable uh, protein and nutritionally appropriate food like beans and peanut butter and tuna fish and canned uh, fruits or vegetables. Um, the second is we love to have volunteers at our warehouse mm-hmm. helping us to sort this food and get this food. Last year we had 9,000 volunteers, so we have quite a, quite a large volunteer operation that comes through our our um, our operation, and finally, of course, and probably the most important is we need funds. We can't mm-hmm. do any of this without funding and donations. And um, for each dollar folks donate to us, we can turn that into four meals. So um, even a small gift means a lot in our context as we move forward.
1: Okay, uh, and what about the fall concert series? Is that been uh, something that's is that already done with? Absolutely, or? Harvest of Music wrapped
2: up um, in November. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll be back next year for its fifth year. Hard to believe that it's been five years. Uh, but that runs from September till November out at Lafayette Square on Wednesdays. It's a great way to uh, do something about hunger, but at the same time, have fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. See Buckwheat Zydeco for free, right? That's I mean, that's a, he, huge. That,
2: that's who closed out our series. That's, that's
1: right. That's huge. All right, running low on time. Uh, Jill, do you want to give your site and magazine a last plug?
3: Sure, um, you can reach me if you have any culinary questions on jyl at kitchenandculture, an A-N-D, it's not an ampersand, kitchenandculture, spelled out, .com, or visit us at louisiana.kitchenandculture.com. We're releasing a new newsletter tomorrow morning. You can surf around on our sites for ridiculous blobs and you know, absurd... It, observations from me and as well as recipes from all of us involving Louisiana food and culture
1: yeah we'll put them both on the site and I think we're just about uh, wrapping up if anyone wants to say anything else it's been a complete pleasure I'm yeah it's been great
2: it's been fun <laughs> I hope it's been been awesome. enjoyed it. Fun.
1: yeah thanks so much Jill's
2: guys. made actually made me feel like I might know what I'm doing in the kitchen <laughs>
3: well, I don't know and you made me feel like I might not <laughs> 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 I have something learned from you too fun Thanksgiving memories the teacher has Jill. become the master <laughs>
1: indeed All right, uh, this has been Happy Hour, live from the Columns Hotel. Uh, 3811
0: St. Charles Avenue in New Orleans.
1: If you uh, need a place to stay or just want to get a drink, the Columns is a great place to come. Mitch Kreiser, technical director, and...
0: Chris Kehoe's producer. Cliff Brigden's our webmaster and bridge to the real world. Check us out at www.itsneworleans.com. Look for links to our guest websites, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Happy holidays.